Welcome to episode 11 of The Potty Mullet, the fortnightly podcast series from the Victorian Fisheries Authority. I'm Luke McCredden, and in this episode, I'm joined by Inland Fisheries Manager Anthony Forster and Director of Recreational Fishing Programs, Brian Mottram. We've spoken a bit about stocking on this podcast throughout the series, uh, but with the recent stats released showing just how amazing and how many native fish were produced and released, it's hard to know where to start, but... Anthony, this is why I bring you and Brian into the conversation, and I want to throw to you, before we get into the nitty-gritty around uh, the actual species release and all the numbers, I, I guess one of the things that is really important here is learning why this program is so important and, and the relevance to it in Victoria. Yeah, good point, Luke. I mean, the, the big question is why do we stock fish, I think, and um, I think that's worth looking at because... There are two drivers or two reasons. You know, one is to increase fish numbers and public orders you know, to, to boost or improve recreational fishing. And, and that's about the fishing experience. And stocking is really good at that because you can put more fish in the water. They, they often grow and they perform well and people catch them and they're happy. So that's, you know, that's a key driver. And, and, and that's important because you know, fishing is really popular in Victoria and Australia, around the world, in fact. More than one in five Victorians fish on a regular basis. It drives tourism, it's important for our regions, and there's you know, something like $2 billion a year of expenditure on fishing. So, you know, fishing itself is really important, and stocking is a great way to improve recreational fishing experience and opportunity. So, so that's the key driver, I guess. The second driver, which is uh, equally important, is that. We've got some wonderful native fishing in Australia. They are truly unique around the world, but their numbers have declined over the last 150 years. Um, we're in a situation now in Australia where there's something like 56 native fish that are threatened, and five out of six of our most popular annual species, fish like trout cod, Murray cod, quarry perch, etc., are really you know, doing it tough. So what we're interested in is 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 helping those fish breed because the river conditions, the fact that our rivers are now so highly modified means that they don't get the opportunity to breed as frequently or as well as they did in the past. Native fish often need flooding to occur on a regular basis to stimulate their breeding and provide feed for the young fish. And because our, regulated, our rivers have been so heavily regulated, that doesn't happen very often. So in that case, Stocking is a really great way to help rebuild native fish populations, particularly those that are threatened. It's a really broad um, benefit, isn't it? There's lots of positives out of it. With the increasing of the numbers, is it something that over the over the years that um, has been a successful um, program for that reason alone that you guys have have done a, been able to do a bit of research and and identify that for even just the single reason of improving or you know helping the numbers. Um, increase, uh, is that something that you've seen really benefit? It has worked. I mean, we, we've stocked a huge amount of fish over the last 20 years increasingly and we're starting to see the benefits of that coming through now. And we've been monitoring the performance of those fisheries and it's quite extraordinary what's, what's occurred. I think Lake Yildon is probably one of our best case studies. Yep. So if we just look at Lake Yildon for a minute, um, we're talking about over the last 20 years, we've stocked something like um, 8 million fish in Lake Yildon alone over the last 20 years. 
Wow. With a major, ma- yeah, it's huge. With a major boost between 2010 and 2012, we put a concerted effort in and stopped one in Murray Cole. So of the fish that we've stopped in Lake Eildon, four million have been caught, three million golden perch, and about a million trout. Now, we have been monitoring that fishery, and we know that the stock fish are surviving and thriving, and it's turned what was a reasonable to average fishery into a sensational native fishery over the last, particularly over the last five or six years, those fish are coming through the system. Absolutely. And we know it's... Well, we know it's working because when we go and assess or monitor the populations, we're getting somewhere around 98% of the fish that we're catching in nets and through electrofishing as being stocked fish. We know that because we've been marking those fish as we've been going. So not only have we built those populations up, we can demonstrate that it's working. Absolutely. As someone who is a recreational fisher like myself and does a bit of travel, it's you know it's impressive and you know it's working when you're interstate and you hear people talking about doing trips to Lake Eildon because of the cod fishery alone. So, so I think that's yeah. testament to it. You know, it's a uh, it's becoming a destination uh, that is becoming really well known for the great fishing. So, I mean, if that's not a good sign, um, <laughs> then nothing is. That's it's fantastic. But I suppose. Um, and Brian, I'd like to bring you into the conversation around some of the um, the new places because I guess Eildon, as you say, over the years has been a, has been a great um, example, and there's a lot of places that have been in, on that list of, of stocking areas for a while. But um, some of the information that's come out about eleven new uh, Victorian lakes that have received native fish for the first time ever um, that's that's fantastic news. Absolutely, we continue to um, look for opportunities where we can put. Fish for um, for people to go and catch or to uh, re-establish populations, and look, we stocked 106 waters this year, and um, that's a whole combination of lakes, rivers, larger reservoirs like Lake Eildon, not all as big as Lake Eildon, but uh, nice big reservoirs you can stick a boat on, as well as creeks and, um, and and other type of larger dams. They're, they're called say near um, near towns that might have been water supplies or something. So there's there's a whole variety of waters we look to um, place fish. These new ones are actually, they're watered south of the um, Great Divide, so one closer to the larger urban population areas. And Anthony had a, a big role in getting um, some on-grown fish into some of these waters over the Christmas period. So happened a heap of fish come available at, um, around Christmas. And, you know, if uh, there's a time that it's hard to get logistics sorted at that time of year, and, um, yeah, and Anthony did a great job coordinating that and, and getting all those fish into those waters um, safely over a two to three week period. Sorry, Brian, just to add to that. Um, so what we've done is we've stocked 11 of those waters, as you say, south of the side. You know, that included 38,000 Murray Cod and Golden Perch. And the interesting thing is that those fish were averaging between 400 and 500 grams. So that's 17 tonne of fish uh, went into those waters. Now, those fish are ready to catch. Um, so uh, that's a really that's an amazing boost to those urban family-friendly fisheries. I think that's the point there. And when looking through some of the the uh, the places that you know that um, were stocked for the first time, very much uh, as you as you mentioned, Brian and, and Anthony, close to um, you know homes, like close to families that can go out and don't have to travel hours and hours. They can they can hit up some some lakes or, or reservoirs nearby. Um, and 
you know, 400 to 500 grams. I mean, that's very much catchable and that's a great, that's a trophy fish for a, for a lot of kids in primary school or, you know what I mean? I think that's, I think the fact that these, um, these places are, are very much accessible, easy to get to mums and dads who are taking kids. Um, don't have to worry too much about spending too long in the car because as a father of three young kids, I try and avoid that. Um, but you know, it's, it's all very, very doable. And I think that's a really good point there. Um, and a really exciting time for, um, people who are new into fishing, albeit kids to adults, but also families who just want to go and spend an hour or two and, and wet a line and, and, and have the opportunity to catch a fish that's uh, been stocked recently but ready to go. That's fantastic news. Yeah, and I think what we're doing as well is we're, we're targeting fish that do best in different waters. So trout do particularly well in winter, and that's fine. They're a cold-water fish, and... And so we're stopping some of these waters, most of these waters. In fact, more than 80 waters across the state with, uh, with trout for the school holidays program. Mm. Uh, but in summer, they don't do so well, and particularly in shallow, shallow lakes um, yeah, where it's warm. So ha- stocking native fish in these waters is, is, a, is a wonderful opportunity to keep the fishery going through summer. Yep. So as you say, kids can come down there with their bikes and, in summer and have a great experience catching a silver perch or a golden perch for the first time. Now, what that does is it connects people or kids and their families to native fish. Uh, and that's a, that's, a, that's a terrific outcome as well because they're, they're talking about them and they're having positive experience with them. Absolutely. It's a win-win situation, yeah. Well, I, I, 100%, I think it is an absolute win-win. Um I do want to. I do want to ask the question. Um, and as I said, we'll get into some of the the numbers and that sort of thing in a minute. But for me, and it's probably something I even overlook from time to time. But something that you guys do and put in a power of work um, is just the logistics of this whole program and and everything that you do over the over the years. Like for example, you know, this summer the over five million fish stocked. That's not just something you can do in uh, the space of one afternoon. <laughs> I'd love to get a bit of a, a bit of a snapshot of the actual process involved in the in the logistics of getting this done. Yeah, look, um, absolutely, Luke. It's a it's a big effort, and look, the team at Snobs Creek. Um, you know, we have a docking coordinator there, Rhiannon, who does a fantastic job, and and we're organising. We, we have two trucks dedicated to moving fish around the state. And um, and three transporters. So transporters are a trailer with a um, uh, a thousand litre tank on them, and the trucks have six tanks on them, each um, each carrying around about a total of four tonne of water. So you know they're, they're specially designed. They've got oxygen to them, um, and and yeah, we want to move those fishes as efficiently and safely to each of those waters. Um, so that the logistics in getting them there is is quite quite huge. Mm. Um, with the with the native fish in particular, they aren't um, they aren't kept in in raceways or, or more artificial conditions like um, like the native fish are. So when the native fish are farmed, and I know you, know, you spoke to Steve Vidler in one of the earlier podcasts. So anyone wants to learn more about the breeding of native fish, certainly um, tune back into that one. But um, we have to harvest those fish. We being the VFA, or we do buy some of these fish from external providers harvest the fish from um, plankton ponds, which are a, you know, a shallow dam where they, um, they, the fish are put out there. It's a semi-natural environment, so you can't just snap your fingers and get them out of those dams. So in planning to take the fish, you've also got to plan 
a week ahead on um, on getting those fish out of those dams and having them ready to put into trucks. So that's the initial step. And then it is um, a matter of, okay, so the, the, the truck's going to um, load up at 6 o'clock in the morning. Um, it's going to head to... Um, you know, to the Wimmera over in the west of the state and uh, and drop fish into 10 different sites. And they might be along the Yarriambiac Creek or into um, Rockland's Reservoir or Taylor's um, Taylor's Reservoir. So there's, there's um, yeah, a lot of uh, logistics in, in planning those trips, you know, how long will each drop take, uh, where we're going to put the fish when we get them there. So it's, uh, we, we don't just pop them in, in the nearest boat ramp. We... Um, we work with uh, our local fisheries officers, angling clubs, um, other agencies. It might be the water agency or, or a local contact from a, from another area. All right, where, where's some good habitat for these young fish to go? Where are they going to do best and have the best chance of survival? And uh, particularly the larger lakes and reservoirs, we'll, we'll drop them at multiple sites. So the truck may well back into a, um, a boat ramp, but then put the fish onto... Uh, Two, three, or, or four or five boats, and uh, and spread them out into into several sites. So, not just the logistics of driving them there; it's actually the logistics of putting them in in the best spot to have the best chance of survival once they're there. And I mean, you're talking about over a hundred, or more, yeah, more than a hundred lakes and rivers that you're putting some fish into. I mean, what there must be some challenges involved in that. What are some of those the the biggest challenges in that? Making sure that there's a, there's a few steps, and the first one is we make sure the waters are okay, like that they're, they're okay to receive fish. That is that, um, you know, during the drought conditions in particular, but that every part of the state receives different environmental conditions at times. So is there enough water? Is it, um, you know, we don't want it to be stagnant or, uh, you know, low in oxygen. So, you know, there's a bit of pre-work done in um, contacting those same local people I mentioned. Mm. Oh, look, is, um, you know, is, is that lake or creek okay? Yep, yep, so that's, um, that's good. Um, the time taken to do it, as I said, we don't just pull in and uh, and throw them out. So we'll, we'll get them in buckets or whatever and, and move them along the bank to make sure they're getting into the best habitat. So um, it, it is uh, the time in getting them there. And also, once you get to a site, we do check the water and make sure it's still okay. Like this year, there was a spot along the Avoca River that I assisted one of the um, one of the guys with, and we got to one hole, and it just it just didn't look right, so you know, got the meters out and checking oxygen. Just you know, it, it wasn't um, best to put large numbers of fish in. So, you know, in talking to a, a local um, local angler who was there, he said, "Look, downstream five kilometres, the um, the springs run. It's much better water. We'll go and check that out." And we did, and the water was um, water was good, and um, and we were able to stock a you know a beautiful stretch of river that's got great public access. So, mm. um, but. You know, having that local knowledge and, um, and and taking the time is is the challenge in that you don't want to rush this job, but yeah. we've, we've also got to get it done in the um, best time we can. Mm. Look, can I just add to that that you know the guys at Snobs Creek in particular, you know, staff I should say, guys and women there that do a terrific job. You know, they're all passionate about what they do, and most of them are really serious recreational fishers in their own right. Yep. So for them, it's a it's a career, but it's also a personal passion, and I think that comes through when you see the efforts that you know, people go to to try and stop fish and you know uh, 
get the best out of it. So I guess you know we talk we talk the talk the talk, but we also walk the talk in terms of. Yeah. Fishing in our passion for it. Absolutely. And, you know, having having uh, been able to chat to a lot of people on this podcast, it, it's absolutely um, something that I can see when I talk to, to anyone, um, whether it be Steve Vidler or, or Rhiannon we had on the show um, not long ago. And, that, yeah, you're 100% right. The passion is absolutely there. And it's not about just doing a job, is it? It's it's way more than that. And it's it's a really important thing. And, and I think as a, you know, a Victorian angler, we're really lucky in that these are the people behind, and you guys are the people behind this whole program, which is which is just helping everything. So so it's 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 really really great. Um, but but uh, but to the to the point we were just discussing, it is a lot of work, and and, we, and it shouldn't be um, dismissed of, of how much work that gets put into to doing these sort of programs. Um, it's a it's it's not something that's simple. <laughs> Yeah, just just a couple of stats on that, Luke, to, to follow on, and um, is so in the, in the twelve months to stock these five million fish, um, and the Rannans provided these two, we've travelled nearly eighty thousand kilometres in that um, in that twelve months in our fish stocking vehicles. Wow, and that's taken just over one hundred and seventy person days. So, you know, you think about an average car probably does about twenty thousand kilometres a year. So that's that's four four uh, four cars doing those commas that's just for the native fish so the salmonids are on top of that um a different lot of figures so a lot of kilometers and you, and you talk about our, our biggest challenge we talked about the fish a lot but i um we'll just mention we're big on staff safety so you know making sure staff have an appropriate break when they're driving and um and everything's really important to us because you know, the main thing is we want we want the fish in in the water safely we want our staff home safely too and they do a great job of managing that, and that's part of the the logistical challenge of making it all happen. Is the um is the biggest yeah the biggest challenge for us really? Absolutely, absolutely. Right, let's uh, let's dive into a bit of a breakdown now of the of the native species stock last season. I'd, I'd love to hear some highlights from you guys about uh, some of the some of the key areas and the key numbers that we've seen go in. Because um, I certainly want to bring up a couple that have. So it jumped out at me as something very exciting, but I'll let you guys get into it first. Uh, give us a bit of a snapshot. What are some of the highlights of the um, yeah of the of the season we've just had in terms of stocking? So Luke, we've stocked eleven species in Victoria. Um, I'll just run through those. Most people will be aware of most, probably not all. So we've got Murray cod, we've got trout cod, Macquarie perch, silver perch, golden perch. Uh, they're the natives. We've also got rainbow trout. Brown trout, um, Chinook salmon, um, and in terms of estuarine marine species, we've got Australian bass and estuary perch. We've also stocked a few mulloway as a trial. And one other thing, we're also doing some experimental work around stocking hybrid trout, which are a combination between brook trout and either rainbow or brown trout. And these fish are called cheetahs or tigers, but I reckon that's a new pod. Uh, podcast episode. Yep, yeah, for sure. I mean, that sounds pretty pretty <laughs> exciting. <laughs> but, Big loss, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But you know, some of the highlights for me are we're continuing our work around Lake Yildon, and um, we've got evidence it's working, and we're cranking up numbers again. There's a record number of fish stocking in Yildon this year, which is terrific. Um, both golden perch and, and Murray cod. Um, 
But the other one that we're developing that we're very excited about is Rockland's Reservoir. Now, that, that's a huge lake. It's the second biggest lake, uh, freshwater lake in Victoria. It's out in the Western Districts. It's, it's north of the, the divide or it's close to the north of the divide. It's in a warmer climate. It's chock-a-block full of trees and snags and it's shallow, but it's also got a deep uh, river that runs through it. And it is very expensive. Now, we've stocked 1.6 million um, native fish in there since 2017. Wow. And we reckon it's going to be an exceptional native fishery. And we reckon that it'll probably rival Yildon within the next 10 years. So the focus there has been on Murray Cod and Golden Perch. And when I was there a couple of years ago doing this sort of foundation work, I remember spending three and a half hours travelling from one end to the next. And the speed limit was no more than five knots because of the number of trees that were <laughs> through the system. Yep. So I only get, got to saw half of it. <laughs> and I was blown away by that. Yeah. So it, it will be, I think, an exceptional fishery for native fish. And that's only a reasonable thing. And uh, we're still in the process of building numbers up. And it will take you know, four to five years to start to see the results. But we're now two and a half, three years in. So to me, that's, that's uh, one of our most exciting opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah, you mentioned earlier, Luke, you know, and Anthony was talking about Lake Yield, and, and we've looked at Lake Yield and seen what's happened there, and, and that's why the, the effort in the Rocklands, and there's some other larger um, reservoirs, you know, between Yield and and, um, and Rocklands, which uh, we're replicating what's done in Yielding, and they're the likes of your, your Epilox, Ken Curran's, Taylor's Lake, um, some lakes up around Kerrang, like um, Kangaroo, etc. Those lakes, we've been stocking those with increased numbers for the last three years, and, and they, they've been getting stockings for a long time. So there's, um, as well as those couple of big ones we talk about, there's lots of other opportunities around the state and um, of those bigger reservoirs. And a, a couple of small ones I'd like to, to mention is um, up in the Wimmera Mallee. Um, I don't know whether it's called Hoped in the Wimmera or the Mallee. It's probably right on the, right on the border, probably the southern Mallee. But um, Lake LaSalle's there is a, a really good case study of um, stocking golden perch and silver perch. And, and it's a, a large lake, and it's really that the water, it's a great um, area that attracts families and recreation to that uh, southern Mallee region. And, um, and then Owens replicated the same thing, a newly created lake in the, in the last couple of years. We started stocking that, and, and the the first of those fish have uh, nearly been in there three years and they're getting to a catchable size. And it's just really exciting for those um, those uh, regional communities to have the opportunity to uh, catch some fish close to home and they'll also travel to these bigger lakes um, further south. But, yeah, there have been some, some real highlights and, look, there's, there's lots more as, as well. So the with things like, um, and, and they're good examples that you mentioned there, how, how big are the fish that are going in there and, and what, what is the... I guess a rough time frame of before they become catch- catchable. The um the fish that we um we grow and stock as, as fingerlings are around about the one gram, so yeah, you're um up to a couple inches long, inch and a half, two inches long um in the old scale. So they're they're, they're small fish, but they've um 
they're ready to, to feed. They've just been um, they've been growing on natural food and they're going into a natural environment ready to go. It takes approximately three years for a golden perch to reach um, 30 centimetres. And, uh, and it all depends on food and everything. And, um, and your Murray Cods are more about five years to get to your 50 centimetres. But silver perch and golden perch, three years. And, and we're seeing those fish come through with, um, at Lake LaSalle's and, and other Wimmera um, lakes. And, and as well as the said, Ian's going to be coming online pretty soon as well. That's exciting, yeah. yeah. Um, Albert Park Lake's an interesting one. It's been very popular, um, particularly over the last 12 months or so. And I, I see it's um, been stocked again with plenty of golden perch, which is really exciting. Um, how, how have you seen that in terms of a success? Um, obviously, it's bringing a lot of people around and it's it is fairly central. Lots of people can access it, um, which is great. Um, but can I jump in? Absolutely, yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Can I jump in there? I mean, I, I think Albert Park Lake is an incredible fishery um, and uh, it is it is popular but it could be a lot more popular and it's got such a rich uh, population of fishing at the moment. Um, we stopped you know, something around 3,000 golden perch this year mm. and those golden perch were 500 grams each. It already had a reasonable population of golden perch in there. We've also stopped it for the first time with Murray Cod and last year we stopped it with a good number of silver perch. Now, before that, um, four years ago, we started stocking it with estuary perch. Now, estuary perch are very close relative to Australian bass. <clears throat> what I can tell you is that the estuary perch fishery there has gone through the roof. Yep. Um, yep. People are going down in the evening, throwing surface lures and catching really good estuary perch. In fact, the growth rates in Elba Park Lake are the best that we've seen for estuary perch across the whole state. Wow. Um, very, very productive system. We had a report of uh, a photograph of someone catching a 47-centimetre estuary perch oh. that was stocked four, four years ago. Wow. Now, that's off the radar in terms of growth rate. Now, the interesting thing about estuary perch is that they are notoriously slow-growing, but not in lakes. So we've shown that in lakes they really kick along. But, but also, uh, they lived 40-plus years old. Now, if you've got a 47 centimetre estuary perch after four years, <laughs> yeah. just imagine how big it'll be in 40. <laughs> People uh, will be taking some game <laughs> fishing gear down to Albert Park Lake. Uh, well, well, that's why they call them Southern Barra. They really do. You know? <laughs> they do, and they so are that, a great... That's a really it, it, um, and I suppose um, now moving into the, what we've just... Um, the, the, the program we've just had more focused on golden perch. Is that is that um, something that's been done on purpose to... Leave the perch for now. Continue their um, their strength and growing the way they've been going, and, and now give a, a good number, a really good number of golden perch a run that are already. I think you already met, you mentioned they're already um, decent size, like three or four hundred grams. Um, is that an intentional sort of move? Well, we, we I think Brian mentioned before we had we've had a few opportunities lately that we've grabbed hold of. We had um, a fish farm that produced Murray cod and golden perch. Uh, close its doors, uh, and that happened October, November, December of last year. Um, and these fish were grown for the food market. Um, we went and had a look at them, and uh, when they went in the receivership, they offered the fish to us basically. Yep. So we went and had a look at them, and uh, they were cracking fish, really good quality fish, and particularly the golden perch looked really strong. So we just grabbed that window of opportunity, uh, and 
on-grown native fish don't come around very often. Mm. Uh, so we, we, you know, I guess what we do is we, we often do, we often learn through doing in, in, our, in our program. Yep. So everything we do is effectively a trial and we put a fair bit of energy into monitoring it to make sure that it, you know, it works. Yeah. But that was a window of opportunity. And they were really good fish. Um, and uh, I'm sure they'll thrive in that place. Absolutely. Um, now, on estuary perch, I wanted to, because I do have a bit of a sweet spot for estuary perch. I love them. I think they're a fantastic mm. sport fish, you know. Um, them and bass. So <clears throat> the one thing that's jumped out at me and I really get excited about is seeing some of the numbers of the bass and the estuary perch that have been stocked, but also some of the areas and, and some of the places they've been put into, which is which is really exciting. And I think, you know, there's a lot of anglers out there that bass have Australian bass and perch to a degree have almost been a little bit too hard or, or, or a bit too a bit untouchable, um, you know. At, but with these programs and, and the places they're getting put in, and I'm not saying it's certainly not saying it's going to make things easier. It's still they're still a really challenging fish, but it makes it doable, and I think that's a really exciting thing. Um, I mean, the focus on bass alone, even just seeing some of the the areas they've been going in as well. You know, are you are you getting these sort of vibes from people about how they're a really cool native fish? I mean, there's no doubt about that. The is- well, I reckon they're, I reckon they're fantastic fish, and one of the things we we did before we got into large scale stocking of bass is we were looking at the population of bass in Gippsland waters, yeah, which is where their their natural range, and what we're finding in those waters is that there are a lot of big, or not a lot, but there are reasonable numbers of big old fish but nothing coming through no no breeding no evidence of any breeding or natural recruitment we're finding this is increasingly an issue for us in Gippsland because what we need to breed or naturally to get a natural breeding of of bass is a peak flow in spring a peak you know not a flood but a really big flow down the estuary to, to stimulate the spawning and create the feed for the juvenile fish when they hatch and we just don't get that as often as we did. And we think it's associated with the climate change type pattern. Okay. So there's, there's a compelling reason where stocking can help this. So we've put a lot of energy, a lot of effort into um, getting bass bred through a native fish breeder in New South Wales. And that's proved very, very successful. So we've got bass being stocked into remnant populations in Gippsland, yep. rivers mainly, but we've also got them being stocked into impoundments and, and lakes like Blue Rock Lake and, and Glen Maggie. Yeah, these two lakes have come of age as, as a bass fishery. In, in fact, they're now recognised on the tournament circuit as you know one of Australia's uh, best bass fisheries. And on its day, they can be really great. But you're right, they are a fickle fish mm. and they're not, they're not easy to catch. <laughs> no, they're a great challenge, and and estuary perch are similar. And I've just noticed, I suppose, one of the, I, I'm assuming there's some challenges with things like, with fish like estuary perch that, um, you know, places like like tyres, for example, um, where are you stocking them in the saltwater areas? Are they are you being really careful about where exactly they're going in, or do you have to think about that sort of thing with a fish like an estuary perch? Oh, yeah, absolutely, do uh, we. we and estuary perch, we started our estuary perch breeding program probably eight years ago. And um, it's a really lovely story because we couldn't do it without the support of recreational fishers. 
So every year we have what we call the Great Perth Search. And we get <laughs> some of the best tournament anglers in Australia, really, to come down and volunteer their time to work alongside us, to go out in the peak of in the peak of the spring, you know, equinoctial gales, and catch these things just as they're re- reaching the right condition for breeding. So we, we do that every year, pull the great bird search. We get about uh, 15 fishes to help us. Yep. When we collect those fish, we very, very carefully handle them because they're subject to stress. Yep. And we actually charter an aeroplane and we put them in uh, triple skinned plastic bags full of oxygenated water and we fly them first class to Maruba <laughs> where, they're, where they're bred. Jeez, uh, I wouldn't, so mind, I wouldn't a, mind being one of those fish for a day, I tell you. Yeah, well, it's, just, it's a retirement <laughs> sub farm for them, really. Yeah. <laughs> so they do, they do really well, but, you know, we, we, we've, we've done this with anglers and it's been incredibly successful. Yep. And in terms of where we're stocking them, you know, we almost every water we've stocked them in, they perform really, really well. Um, but, you know, they are fragile and you need to very carefully manage them. The, the two waters, I guess, they've dominated in, apart from Melbourne Park Lake, is uh, Pebble Bend Reservoir. They've gone really, really well there as well. Yep. But estuary perch are also starting to come through now at Lake Highs, which is great. Yep. Um, so we're really, really excited about that. The other one that we're developing is the Maribyrnong River. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a classic urban fishery. You know, it's it's described as a working river. And it's been heavily modified. It's in the past been very heavily polluted. And we're working with recreational fishers in Melbourne water to bring back that population of estuary perch. So what we've done so far is stock 200,000 estuary perch in the freshwater regions. Yep. Because they, they tend to do best in the freshwater regions when they're younger. And the plan is that as they grow older in year two and year three, they'll start moving down the estuary. Now, one of the issues with that estuary is there's no habitat other than bridge pylons. Mm. So to partner with the stocking, we're very soon to install several hundred tonne of rock in that system and at least 12 massive new recreational reefs or fishing fish habitat reefs, yep. which will be basically made out of you know, natural timber and trees. Mm. So we, we'll, we'll create this renewed habitat that will bring back native fish in that river system. Yeah, so that's a really good example. It is. And, and Brian, you mentioned before about, um, you know, when you get to, even when you get to a destination to put some fish in, you've still got to assess it even after you've done a bit of homework. I'm assuming somewhere like the Maribyrnong River um, is, look, it can times be looked at and you sort of might think it's a bit dirty or there's a bit of trash around or whatever and I'm just you know not taking the the mickey out of it but sometimes that is how you see it It, do you guys have to be careful and and what's the process in finding the right spot to put fish in there yeah look absolutely and and, um, any water it's what's under the water that matters um, as much you can get an indication from what's around the edge but um, as Andy said about putting habitat back in the water of the Maribyrnong and what's under the water is um, is really important. So yeah. um, we're lucky these days when we are stocking some of these um, fish and, and ice estuary perch. If we can use boats and um, and uh, anglers VFA boats, we've often got fish finders and, um, and and such forth now that you can look for habitat under the water. 
So you're releasing the fish near some good structure where we know they've got a good chance of survival. So um, it's, it's really important. And before fish go into any water, um, you know, Anthony's team are doing an assessment on on what we think could survive there, how it would survive, what, what the habitat is like, does it need some more work, do we work with um, uh, you know, rec anglers or local CMA or, or any other agency to, um, to improve the chance of fish survival, which is absolutely vital. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, we, we've spoken quite a bit about it um, today in this particular episode, but I'm just thinking, is there a way that people can um, find exactly where fish have been stocked and, and the and the particular species that have been put in certain places? What's the easiest way for recreational anglers to get their hands on some of this information? Uh, look, there's a few ways to, to do this. So they can jump on our VFA website and, and do the search button for fish stocking and, and you'll see drop down lists of where we stock fish each year, so like an annual checklist and that's the old school way if you like. Yep. Um, but we've got a brand new fish stocking database which is available. All you need to do is get on your Google uh, search engine and type in VFA fish stock data and you'll go straight to our, our dedicated um, real-time uh, stocking database. So what you can do there is search for your favourite species, yep. about where, where it was stocked, and you can specify the period, you know, last year, the year before, or a period of for the last three or four years, for example. Um, but you can also do a search by water and species and time. So if you've got uh, if you've got the favourite water and you're thinking, you know, will I go fishing this weekend? One of the things you could do is sit down for half an hour, 20 minutes, just go through your key waters and just look at what the stocking numbers have been in those waters. And, um, you know, you obviously want to plan ahead three years, really. So whatever goes in, we'll realise, we'll generally reach legal size in three or four years. So if you've got a planned good number of fish went in three or four years ago, there's a, chance, there's a good chance you will you'll have a successful trip. So use use that fish stocking database to inform your fishing choices and your decisions. I think it's a really sensible way to go about it. Yeah, brilliant. That's an easy way to do it. Hey, uh, you mentioned favourite fish. Now, before I let you guys both go, you've been in the game a long time. I need to ask a question. Out of our native fish, have you got favourites? Anthony, you go first. Oh, it's a tough one. It really <laughs> is. Uh, <laughs> and I'll probably stick this. Murray cod. Um, for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, I love catching them on lures. Mm. I especially love catching them on the surface lure. I just think that explosive hit is just uh, incredible. It lasts you a lifetime, that thrill. Mm. Um, but they're also pretty tough when when you're trying to wrestle them out of habitat. Yep. So, uh, you know, I've, I've caught some big ones. I haven't caught a meter one yet, but I've got close. And I remember every battle as if it was yesterday. So <laughs> I, rec- I, I reckon, I reckon Murray Cod are right up there. But if I had a second, it'd probably be Estric Perch. Yep, Brian. What about yourself? Yeah, look, it, it is hard to go past Murray Cod, and um, look, we, we've got to start the the sledging and catching on the surface. And Anthony forces boat at Lake Field, and it's just fantastic. So he can net the fish for you. So um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> being able yeah. to do that is great. But um, look, at, um, Murray Cod, I think is the only one. Everyone, you know, has got the aim of catching a metery, which I haven't done either. Um, some people will think I won't get there, but I'll, I'll keep trying. Um, 
but, but the idea of going to a, uh, a river, and, and I, I love the idea of using lures and stuff, but putting a bait out, a shrimp out, and um, and waiting with anticipation for a golden perch mm. to bite, mm. it, it's just, uh, you know, as a kid, I remember doing that. And, uh, yeah, don't forget the good old golden perch, but um, but the Murray Cotter, fantastic. Absolutely. Hey, listen, guys, uh, thank you so much for your time today, and, and, and thanks for all your efforts as a, as a recreational angler here in Victoria. It's a great time to be a part of it, and I think, uh, you know, this has been a, another great program and we look forward to seeing the results in the coming years, um, but enjoying the results from previous years at the moment too. So thank you very much uh, for coming on to the Potty Mullet. Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Luke. And I'll just mention funds to grow and stock these fish um, come as part of our Target One Million program, which includes some funds from people. When you go buy a recreational fishing licence, um, that money is going towards stocking these fish as well as the Target 1 million state of government investment. So it's a combined effort where the government's putting money in. And when you go and buy a licence, that money is helping us um, grow and stock these fish, which is just great for anglers and, uh, and great for our waters. Subscribe to the Potty Mullet to get new episodes first and continue the conversation on the Potty Mullet Facebook group. You can also jump aboard the VFA Facebook, Instagram and Twitter pages for all the latest fisheries news.